2: FM Talk Podcast. This hour of The Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts.
3: Well, we're on the cusp of another weekend. We're going to get you there, hopefully, very quickly to tomorrow. We have a Fish Fry Friday that's set up at um, the Most Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Eureka, and the table will be there live. In fact, the whole show tomorrow, like we did last week in South City, we have a bit of a tour going on for Fridays in the month of March and into April. We'll only skip the 31st because I'm doing some traveling. That weekend, but uh, Pop in Manchester next Friday, the Knights of Columbus in Cottleville on the 24th, April 7th, the VFW Hall in O'Fallon will be in Eureka tomorrow. Jane will be on the panel for the roundtable in the three o'clock hour. A lot to talk about as usual. John Gaskin will be with us and Sean Flower, who's the mayor of Eureka, and he's going to hang out, I think, in the five o'clock hour and talk about some things as well. This hour, Neil Gelman with the Gelman team will talk about real estate. I actually had breakfast with Neil this morning. Some interesting things happening in the market that might surprise you. And then the Players' Championship started today. Dan Reardon No relation. With an update a little later this hour, plus an audio cut of the day. Phil Holloway is back with us, Fox News analyst, former police officer, an attorney representing the Sheriff's Department in Georgia, also a member of the Rational Ground COVID Think Plank, Think Tank. How are you, Phil? Not Think Plank, Think Tank. Good afternoon. (laughs) How are things down south?
4: You know, I've been been called much worse than a plank, so I'll take it.
3: (laughs) Hey, we got to start with, because I think a lot of us were caught off guard, but last Thursday... It was this hour, last Thursday, we were talking about the Murdoch case. It had gone to the jury. You and I both agreed this might take a while, right? And I was dumb enough to say, you know, I think they may have planted reasonable doubt. And I've said so many times before, Phil, and I told a couple of stories just from my covering of trials, you can never predict a jury. And, boy, was that true in this case, wasn't it?
4: No, no, you really can't. And I was way, way, way out on that limb myself with you, and it got cut right off. Uh, I think 10 minutes um Before, you know, the verdict came out, you and I were talking about this, as you said, and and we hung up and then I got a call from the producer at Fox News and said, hey, can you jump on with us on, on Skype? You know, we got a verdict. I said, what? Yeah, you crazy? We don't have a verdict, and lo and behold, they did. I called back to your uh, studios there and said, "Look, did y'all hear about this?" And I said, "I can't believe I just said on your on your show that it's going to be a week, and it was three minutes or later."
3: So when we wrapped up the segment, I went to traffic. We're in a commercial break. It was before the last segment on Thursday, which was right around five forty-five, and we look up at Fox. You know, we have the broad- the broadcast sign on, on some monitors in here. And it said verdict uh, reached. And Sue and I both agreed that they they screwed that up. It's just gone to the jury. And we're like, oh, it's that's not true. And sure enough, I get in the car and the the verdict was being read. So that was amazing. And then sentencing takes place right away there, doesn't it?
4: Yes, I was expecting there was going to be a long sentencing hearing with a bunch of Uh, witnesses testifying, uh, you know, in aggravation of punishment, and lo and behold, nobody wanted to say anything. They all just said, let's get on with it. Basically, they knew he was getting two life sentences, and the judge did most of the talking. So uh, it was a historic trial, to be sure. By the way, I thought that judge really did a nice job
3: when when he was talking and and addressing the courtroom and um, his, uh, you know, defendant last Friday during sentencing. He really was impressive.
4: Yeah, very good. Very good judicial temperament. Um, I, I liked his uh demeanor, I uh, like the way he comported himself and he controlled that courtroom. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with all of his rulings, but that's that's always the case in any trial, my, my own included. So, yeah, he did a great job. All right. Let, let's talk. Have
3: you I have not heard this yet. Every once in a while I get audio that's dumped into my um, folder at the last minute. Fauci did an interview today with Cavuto. Have you heard this at all? I have not. All right, we're going to hear it together here because I haven't either. Talking about some of the testimony yesterday, Robert Redfield said, Look,
2: I've been, he was the CDC director.
3: He's like, I was let out of the loop on some of this stuff.
2: You know, Neil, I really feel badly about that because I, I know Bob a long time. He is totally and unequivocally incorrect in what he's saying that I excluded him. I had nothing to do with who would be on that call. That call was organized by a group of evolutionary virologists in order to discuss the possibility that this might actually be a virus that was actually engineered. So I didn't put anybody on the list of that call, nor did I take anybody else. So it's really unfortunate that in a public setting like the hearing, that Dr. Redfield made that absolutely incorrect statement. Interesting. He says,
3: "I, I didn't, you know, do anything there. That was an interesting yeah. way to phrase that." Look, yeah. I don't, I don't think Dr. Yeah. Fauci wants to accept responsibility for anything. And and there were mistakes that were made countless, and they've been exposed this week, haven't they, Phil?
4: Well, you know, Fauci, Fauci is on every side of every issue, and he does choose his words very carefully. He, you know, I, he, he's got a lot more to be concerned with though than than uh, squeezing Dr. Redfield. The former CDC director out of uh, all these things back in uh, the spring of 2020, because if you if you boil Redfield's testimony down to its essence, and well, it's even he explicitly said it. He basically has said, "Look, the United States government funded this gain of function research, and essentially the United States government therefore funded the creation of COVID nineteen in a lab." But he didn't stop there. He goes on to say that despite what Fauci has said to Congress and elsewhere, it got out of that lab. And he said that happened in September of 2019. He says he knows that because there were Known infections back as early as September of two thousand and nineteen, and quite frankly, I think that when the history books are fully written on this, I think we might see that it was even sooner or earlier than that oh
3: really but, yeah, uh, because we, ha- we he, have we yeah. have found it was a lot sooner than we anticipated, right we know that
4: yeah, so he he admitted and we 've known the the September information for some time, but he basically came out and clarified it and said it unequivocally under oath that What this is is that he 's saying that the United States government funded. Covid nineteen's creation—it's a man-made virus. It escaped from a Chinese lab, uh, and, he, and that happened back in September. But here's the the other thing: is he says he he knows that the lab tried to cover it up because they went in after the fact and they deleted some gene sequences. Uh, he said that they they changed the command and control of that lab in China from civilian to military. They let a a contractor come in and do the redo the ventilation system in the lab. All those. Significant events happened uh, around September 2019. He said that was previously classified. It was something that the government did not want us to know. It was classified. It's now declassified. But he also said under oath yesterday that there is a lot more remaining classified information about that lab. And so the, the Congress, you know, with their security clearance, maybe that they can uh, uncover some of this. But the but the public is not allowed to know. This is all very very important. This is. Things, this is life changing. And if this is all accurate, and there's lots of evidence to corroborate him, this is the worst scandal of my lifetime. And I'm sure yours, considering the magnitude of the destruction that uh, was. Visited on the world, yeah. Let me get and your re- came out of that lab in China.
3: Let me get your reaction to this because there, there are some people that are trying to, to, you know, distinguish between the lab leak and then the engineered virus. Here's Lena Wen. Nguyen. Lena Wen's interesting to me. She's one of the experts on CNN. She writes at the Washington Post. She was one of the, um, you know, leading advocates of masking and fear and all this stuff. And then she did an interesting turnaround about a year and a half in because I think that the facts were undeniable. But listen to what she said here. I think
5: it's really important for us to and distinguish between man-made and lab-leak. In the beginning, the people who are labeled fringe were the ones who were talking about a bioweapon. They were talking about scientists who were directly manipulating viruses to make them more pathogenic and then releasing it as a way to cause um, a lot of people to die on purpose. There is no intelligence uh, from and no findings from the scientific communities that would support that kind of, um, of
3: man-made pathogen. All right, do you agree with that or disagree? Because I don't think we know enough on that.
4: Well, I I think that she's missing the mark because, look, there are plenty of reasons to think that uh, COVID resulted from human tinkering, basically, with the virus. But one of the things, and there's plenty, we don't have time to go over all of it, and honestly, there are people that are more well-versed on this than I am. But one, you really need to look no further than what we call the HIV inserts. Okay, This virus possesses three proteins that were previously found in, in the HIV virus they were inserted into the spike protein in the COVID-19 virus. Um, This makes some sense because of the work that um, a guy named Peter Daszak, who ran the uh, EcoHealth Alliance, uh, he and Fauci were previously obsessed with making an HIV vaccine. They got a lot of help, too. There was, uh, in 2008, a UNC researcher named uh, Amy Sims. She proposed a grant that was funded in 2011 and It it says in the proposed study, we will develop human coronaviruses as vaccine vectors to deliver HIV antigens. And so the odds of getting all these things into one virus, you know, through naturally occurring combination of mutations and recombinations is just too far-fetched. And then you got to add one thing to that that really, I think, is a smoking gun. Uh, This virus contains something called a furin cleavage site that does not exist in nature. Uh, It exists in a Moderna patent, however. So when you put all these things together, the signs very clearly, in my view, point to something that was man-made. If it's in a lab, uh, that's what they're doing. They're tinkering around with coronaviruses. They're making it more powerful. They're trying to create a deadly um, virus so that they can also create the cure for it, and it got out. I'm not saying it was a bio weapon, but I do think the evidence is overwhelmingly clear that it was man-made.
3: So I had Kilmeadon for his regular visit in the last hour and the way that this is being, you know, I think portrayed in some of the media about what Ron DeSantis did with Novak Djokovic is interesting because the coverage says Ron DeSantis joked that he would smuggle Novak Djokovic into the U.S. if Biden doesn't let him in because if he goes down, he flies into the Bahamas, they can take a boat and then he'd be able to come into the country. DeSantis says, no, I'm, I'm serious about that, which I love that whole play because it exposes some of the lunacy. And I don't know if you saw this, Phil, but Gavin Newsom has COVID right now in California. Mm-hmm. And he tweets out, just like it was two years ago, I'm going to isolate for five days, blah, 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 all this other nonsense. It's it's amazing. They feel like it's still 2020 or the uh, beginning of 2021, I feel.
4: Well, say what you want to say about, you know, um Governor DeSantis, but I tell you, he's been one of the leaders on COVID. He's turned out to be right about basically everything. Okay, he's contradicted Fauci, and and he's been proven to be right. And he's right about this. He's right that our uh, our ma- the vaccine mandate for non citizens to fly into the U.S. is just it's crazy world for that. He if he goes out and, and somehow gets joke of it into the United States through this loophole it's a massive loophole we've known about it for a long time i hope I hoped last year he was going to bring his yacht into uh, the United States and uh, and get in that way. but uh, if DeSantis does this, it's going to just pit him squarely against the current occupant of the White House, and I think it's part of what he's setting up for drawing yes. a very stark distinction between himself and Joe Biden.
3: I love that. All right, here's one more piece of audio from Cavuto with Fauci, because he asked him, I guess, about masking.
5: In retrospect, and given the fact that a lot of people uh, felt it went too far and the shutdowns and the mask thing went too far, what, what do you think now in retrospect?
2: Well, uh, uh, Neil, you you gave both sides of the arguments you were referring to early on when we didn't think it was necessary to wear masks because we didn't have a full appreciation of the fact of how easily this virus spreads. And it spreads by 60 percent of the time from asymptomatic people. Had we known that early on, we would have been pushing for masks very much earlier than we were. Oh, my God. That's different. From the idea of mandating masks, which make people very upset. So, you know, he just he talks out of both sides of his mouth. It's unbelievable. He doesn't realize that
3: there's overwhelming evidence. It's not even in question right now, Phil. You know this, that the mask did absolutely nothing. And by the way, that includes the N95s. This thing you tried to avoid, you couldn't outrun it. Let's not forget they were telling everyone to wash their hands and avoid surfaces for a while
4: as well. He's just living in denial. If you go to my Twitter account at Phil Holloway Esq. right now, I'll send it to you. Maybe you can retweet it. My pinned tweet, and it's been up there for a couple of years now. It's a it's Fauci's email to a woman named Sylvia Burwell, where he says, you know, masks are really for in- infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are uh, not infected. And it basically says, it literally says, actually, they're not effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. And he so he he admits. And that's in um, February of 2020. He's admitting right there that he knows they don't work. And there was no there was no science that changed that would ju- justify his flip flop. It was just it was a do something. We've got to do something. We've got to appear that we're doing something. And they oversold masks. And people now still, to this day, will I see them riding around by themselves in their car with their with a mask yeah. because Fauci fooled them.
3: Well, because Fauci and the way Gavin Newsom and all these others operate, there are still people out there. Psychologically, they did so much damage to people because those people who really – I don't know what it is, if it's something inherent in DNA. It's just like liberals when they think with their hearts and not their brains. But there are people that think that this thing is just swirling around out there, ready to attack you at any moment. And it's going to kill you. And we oversold the death aspect of this. From this standpoint. Yes, fat obese older people were dying at record numbers, not everybody else. And I apologize. They were
4: also and also it it you know you can't take out the the fact that we were overventilating people in the early days um because they did not want people in hospitals coughing and therefore spreading it around even more so doctors are overusing ventilators uh and 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 once you put someone on a ventilator any doctor will tell you it makes it much uh more serious and and the um what's the word I'm looking for, the the outcome uh, takes, a, takes a potential downturn just based on the ventilators. I think they got away from that later, and they the, the treatment protocols were, were not so reliant on ventilators. But in the very beginning, they were putting people who did not really need them, they were sedating them, putting them on ventilators so they wouldn't cough.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've heard um, that particular aspect of it. It's been an interesting week on Capitol Hill, hasn't it?
4: Well, it has, and I think that this this whole thing, going back to Redfield, sort of where we started this, this admission by Redfield that the U.S. was funding gain-of-function, that the United States funded the creation, if you will, of this uh, deadly virus, that uh, in addition to the lethality of it, the the, the disruption to the world – What kind of massive, massive damage was was unleashed? So people say, well, gain-of-function is important. It's going to help stop a pandemic. But, hell, it caused this one, if you believe Redfield's testimony. It caused this.
3: Well, no matter what you believe, we know this much, that there are a lot of answers to questions that have not yet come. Phil Holloway, always great to have you on. I appreciate it. You have a great week and weekend, and we'll talk soon.
4: You too, brother. Thanks.
3: Neil Gelman from the Gelman team. We're going to get you an update on real estate as we get into the spring market here in 2023. Dan Reardon with an update on the Players' Championship, plus an audio cut of the day coming up. Don't forget, tomorrow, live in Eureka, Fish Fry
1: Fridays continue. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.
3: We are dangerously close to the weekend. We have Fish Fry Friday in Eureka, which is very conveniently located to my home. About 10 minutes away. Looking forward to that commute. Tomorrow we'll be uh, there the whole show. We'll do the roundtable live from Most Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Eureka. Paul Hall will be here on entertainment in the 4 o'clock hour. Mr. Kusumato. I know that we invited Susan L. Ward, fine sponsor to come down and visit with us tomorrow. So she's going to be there as well in the 5 o'clock hour. We have the tour uh, schedule for the rest of the month. March 17th, a week from today, Pop in Manchester, Knights of Columbus in Cottleville on the 24th. We're going to skip the 31st because I'm doing a little traveling that weekend. And April 7th, we will close it all out at the VFW Hall in O'Fallon. It's going to be a lot of fun. Last week was great. In South City. Speaking of my home location, it was the Gelman team that helped me find that home in the High Ridge Fenton area. Neil Gelman is with us this afternoon with an update on where the market is as we start sort of spring of 2023. It's been a wild ride the past few years after the pandemic. How are you, Neil? Good. How are you, buddy? I haven't nice seen you, see you in Yeah, I haven't seen you in what eight hours? Right, we had breakfast this morning. Right, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. It was nice uh, to catch up.
6: Yeah, well, it was. So, market update. Despite what uh, people are hearing out there, uh, the market is still strong as can be. If you're a seller, there is limited inventory. I ran numbers before I came on. In St. Charles County and St. Louis County, you're looking at 50% of inventory from 2019, meaning that we have a serious weakness in inventory. And we are back to, believe it or not, even with the higher interest rates, Mark, you had asked me this morning you know, if interest rates are affecting things. We're not seeing interest rates affecting anything. In fact, we're back to where a good house, priced properly, is getting multiple offers again, significant offers. We've sold one today um, in town and country with 11 offers.
3: Could you, not, that's, that's amazing. Could you not make yeah. the case, though, that the supply side of the market is being affected because owners might say, look, I'd like to move, but I don't want to get into these rates that are so high, so I'm in a, an uncomfortable position right now. What would your advice so, be to them, and is that, so isn't that part say, of the equation?
6: I, yeah, so I would say um, about a third of the people, that may be the case, where they have a low interest rate, they want to move, but they don't want to increase their current rate. And it, what I'm seeing, the majority of the problem is for for limited inventory, is that buyers can our sellers cannot that our buyers cannot find any properties due to the weakness in inventory right. that they can move to. So that's the bigger problem. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle, right? It is. It totally is. But you know, the interesting thing is, is if you look at interest rates, which are sitting around seven percent right now, compared to 3% a year ago, um, it's not affecting the buyers at all. You know, what we're telling people, Mark, is don't look at the interest rate right now. Look at what you can afford on a monthly basis. And, uh, you know, within a year, you should be able to refinance to a significantly lower rate.
3: What is going? One of the things you told me, and I think this is true in any market probably, it doesn't really matter, but if people are pricing those homes right, they're selling, right? correct so absolutely so are some people being a little too ambitious given the, the state of the market and that's the homes that are sitting a little so, longer
6: so so what's interesting about pricing today and I've talked we talked to all our agents about this is if I was listing a house and going out on a listing presentation a year ago you could price it based on 90 days prior now you're looking at when we're pricing homes because the market the fair market value is all over the place. We're looking at what are you competing with on an active basis and what is currently under contract versus what is sold. Really? Yeah. Is
3: that now, is that a dramatic it, shift? Because that, I always thought it, it was not, when you're doing the comps, I did think it was more passive. Yeah, you, no, right?
6: because the market is moving so fast. And we don't want to, we don't want to shortchange any one of our sellers. So we're looking at what are you truly competing against that's active, and what are you truly competing against that's currently under contract. So you
3: have. We were talking about this a little bit. You were showing me some of the inside baseball stuff, and we yeah. obviously we're not going to get into this. But tell me about because you guys on the website have a tool where you can enter some information and, and get uh, a bit of a
6: accurate, yeah, relatively accurate price go, on the home, right? Right. We're going to. We're asking sellers. That are out there if they're just curious what their home value is we have two websites out there that are phenomenal to go to t george tom home so tgt home and tgt it allows you to put in information about your particular house we are the response we're getting from our prospective sellers, is that the numbers that are coming back are very accurate. Unlike a Zillow, for example, where you look at a Zestimate, they're looking at averages. They don't know what the condition of your house is. They don't know the true details of your house, etc. This allows you to put as much information as possible. The other cool thing about it is it allows me, if you don't know all the information, it allows me to go in, run comps myself, and then I can update the value and send that out to you. And a lot of cases people are shocked at what their home is truly worth.
3: Yeah, even even given the uh, the circumstances, which I think is important, right, and you can link there though from your website, can't you? Those, with, with oh, those absolutely. Sites? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
6: right on the website.
3: Well, go to thegelmanteam.com dot to find out more. What what is? Are there people that are still making mistakes when it comes to selling the home right now
6: outside of pricing? So here's here's the number one biggest change, Mark. I believe in what's happened over the last year. If you go back to last year, and you and you and Becky wrote four offers on different houses and you didn't get it the fifth house that came up you go you know what this isn't exactly what we wanted but we're going to sacrifice a little bit and we'll take this house and we'll go for it today people because of the higher interest rates are being a little bit more selective so the homes that are overpriced or need some updating um in combination are struggling a little bit sitting on market a little bit longer but at the end of the day The number of buyers that are out there going after every single property is is incredible. Neil Gelman with the Gelman team. You know, Sue and
3: I were talking about this a couple of days ago, and I I, I think, I don't know if it's just a saying in real estate, but it's something that I've experienced, and I told the story this way, so you might remember this, uh, maybe not all the specifics. When we were looking for a home, and this goes back almost six years, it was five and a half years ago, we were pushing our search out because the supply was limited at that point. So we were looking down where I'm going to be tomorrow in Eureka, and we were all ready to make an offer on a home that was right there on the Legends. Had a great yard. The home wasn't exactly what we were looking for. love the yard. So there were things that we loved. But it wasn't our favorite, but we really were were panicking at that point. Well, somebody put an offer in before us, right? Didn't work out. Mm -hmm. But then we end up in the house that we're in. And I can't even imagine it being different. It somehow it works out. The real estate gods come come into play, don't they?
6: Absolutely. There's (laughs) definitely good house karma. Well I've experienced it. Yeah, and and in the last you know the other thing I can say, you know, whether you're working with the Delman team, it's important to make sure that the buyer's agent you're working for, working with, is working on your behalf and not pushing you because the last thing you want is home buyer's remorse. You know, our people are very patient. We want to make sure that you find the exact property you're looking for and that fits in your budget.
3: Yep, absolutely. It was great to see you again this morning at breakfast. we got to get out. He, Neil, I've talked about this before, but Neil's son, Alex, <laughs> is just an incredible <laughs> high school golfer at Clayton, and he's my inspiration because he was so good when we played last year. But you have a great week. Keep us posted on Real Estate. You too. Have a great weekend, and we'll get you on the course soon. Appreciate it. com. check it out. 538, audio cut of the day. And I think producer emeritus Dave Klein is in the building, Sue Thomas, for a little visit here. I just saw up. him. Yeah, he's going to the Blues game with me. He's <laughs> coming up. Oh Sue, we uh, very special afternoon. We have producer Emeritus Dave Klein in the <laughs> um, in the room. How are you? Tired. Yeah. <laughs> because you yeah. got four kids. Always yeah. tired. Hang tight. We'll have a chat with you in just a second. I got Dan Reardon on the line for an update on the Players' Championship. As uh, we're into really uh, a great time for golf and leading into the Masters here in a little bit more than a month. Dan, I, I just looked at the leaderboard. One thing Dave was asking me, one thing I saw earlier when I was watching is Rory was not having a good day. He was plus four when I saw him. I don't know where he finished. But what do we got down there? In um, This is uh, TPC Sawgrass down there at Ponte Vedra, Florida, right?
5: That's correct, and I would call this a Google, a Google leaderboard because the names at the top of the leaderboard, except for Colin Morikawa, are people that you have to do a little research to find. Mm-hmm. Chad Ramey is in with a, a round of 864. He is ranked 223rd in the world. He's missed nine cuts so far this year on tour, but it was his day, certainly today. But Morikawa is obviously a legitimate choice, a, a two-time major champion. He's in at 65, one strokes back. And then again, you go to Taylor Pendrith and Ben Griffin and Justin Sue, and you've got a lot of those who-are-they kind of names. It's sort of ironic that this, this is exactly what the tour is trying to avoid next year when they go to their elite events with 70 top names in the field, and they don't get these kinds of players showing up on their earlier boards.
3: Yeah, explain what's going to happen there in the changes into 2024, because I don't even know if I understand that completely, Dan.
5: Cre- they will create eight events next year, where only seventy to eighty players will be in the field, and they will be no cut events with twenty twenty-five million dollar purses, and they will be scattered through the schedule. And then the rest of the uh, events uh, for the PGA Tour will be full field events, and they will have you know a mixed combination of elite and non elite players. But like I said, they will be sort of sprinkled all the way through the year, and then you'll have your majors and you- the FedEx Cup and all that sort of thing. But the idea is. They want to put their best product in in front of people as many times as possible. And it's obviously a response to LIV as well. But it's a way to sort things out. By the way, one thing that will please you, Mark, about today's round at uh, the the Players' Championship, uh, uh, we had a player, Hayden Buckley, with a hole-in-one on 17. And you say, so that's another name I don't know. But at least we can tell you that Hayden Buckley played his college golf at Mizzou. Oh,
3: look at that. Now you got to. For people who don't know, and I got to tell you something interesting here about golf in a moment. But let me let me phrase it this way: seventeen at this tournament is just epic, right? That's the island hole.
5: It's it's the whole personality of the golf course. I you know I would ask you because I think you're a representative golf fan. If there wasn't an island green at Ponte Vedra. Would you think much about this golf course? And I think the answer for most people is no. That's that's what they think about.
3: Yeah, I, probably not because it, it's it's so exciting, especially when things are on the line in those last couple of rounds. But let me let me ask this question. And You probably heard, Dan, that Dave Klein, who you know pretty well, is in the room. Dave, I'm going to ask you this question, too, along with Dan because I haven't asked either of you. Have you watched uh, Full Swing on Netflix yet? I just started it.
5: Dan, have you seen it? And I've seen just the first episode, I, which featured Justin Thomas and Jordan Speed. You know, what's interesting, Mark, is the guys that are declining to be a part of it and want to have, to have nothing to do with it. I think it's well done. I do but too. I, I, think, I think it's sort of interesting that the, the players aren't 100% on board with this. Some of the. Some of them considered a serious intrusion, and they want no part of
3: it. I understand and we'll- that, and here's why I wanted to bring this up because I find this interesting. This is anecdotal, okay? And I'm I'm through three episodes. I think it's fantastic, but I know this sport, and I follow this sport, and I'm passionate about it. And I know everyone in it, right? But my I, I'm going to the MAC with my personal trainer Nick, and he's a he's a, he's actually went to school with my kids, Dave. Believe it or not, that makes me feel old. He went to school down <laughs> at Windsor, but Nick's probably 20. I think he's 24, 25 years old. He's not a golf fan. He doesn't know these players, right? He doesn't follow professional golf. But he watched Full Swing, and he loved it. And he said to me this morning, he's thinking about playing golf more. So that's part of the purpose here, isn't it? To get young people interested in these personalities, giving it a little different look than everything that happens quietly on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon during some of these tournaments. That's part of the goal, I think, for the PGA.
5: I think it's entirely the goal of this series to do that to bring that element into the, their game. You know, they, they don't want the guys over 50 like us necessarily as the target demographic, you know, Uh, they want those younger people in, and they're borrowing from what they have done in the NFL and some other areas, a little bit of that behind the scenes kind of approach to the game of golf, but a lot of big changes. As I said, the schedule next year changes dramatically. Uh, the, the, The tour is rewarding players for how they, Uh, show up on social media. There's all kinds of uh, attempts to try to draw a younger crowd into at least following the game. If you
3: were even today, and you've got leaders and Morocco minus seven, minus seven, Remy minus eight, is is this a golf course that can that can still have you make a, a good comeback if you if you come back tomorrow in the next couple of days and get have good rounds? You got Scheffler sitting at minus four, so he's certainly within range, but that that's a relatively big lead at sixty fours and sixty fives on the first day of the tournament.
5: Yeah, but you know what I was—I talked to Lee Trevino when he was in town for the seniors, and Trevino admitted in his day. Nicholas coached them. Don't worry about what you see on that first day on the leaderboard. Uh, when we get to Sunday, it'll be, it'll be players like us. And the players will normally not want to say that because they're sort of, but they're it's sort true. Of those kinds of people, right. But you know, you can go down that leaderboard. I think Jordan Spieth is in a three under. I think you'll, you'll find players who are legitimate in that regard. And by the way, they suspended play. So not, it's not a complete round. Uh, Justin Sue is on the course of five under. Uh, he could actually get to eight, but no, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of, of shuffling that's going to take place. And this, and to answer your specific question, this is the kind of course that can bite you on any given day and can reward you on any given day. And, and wind conditions play up, and there wasn't yeah. a wind that, that can play a part as well. Yeah,
3: I saw some crosswinds being a factor today. All right, Dan, we'll get an update tomorrow as we head into the weekend. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it, Mark. All right, 5:50. I have an audio cut of the day, but let's catch up with producer Marinus Dave Klein and see how he's doing with the family. So, how old are the uh, the, the the babies? How old now? Baby is six months, five, almost six months, five okay. and a half right now. How's that going, Dave? Crazy. I mean, he's a good. He really is a good kid. His brothers love him.
0: Um, he's starting to eat some solid foods now, so Aww. he's getting big.
4: He's really, but he's uh, he's a charmer. He is
1: beautiful. Thank I mean, you. you you
4: see the photos that Dave puts up. He sends them to me because I'm a fan. <laughs> but this child has the most gorgeous eyelashes. He is just precious, Dave. Thank we, we you. We should
3: probably, for the sake of the audience that might not know the update here, and Dave was with me for many, many years on CAMWX and also here on 97.1 FM Talk, and he left us just a little bit more than a year ago, and Abby's doing a great job. But you um you had an interesting occurrence because you had this master plan in 2020 to yeah, almost three I, years ago to you, the date. They were inspired by me. I had a vasectomy finally after my fiftieth birthday present, which was my daughter that turned eight yesterday. Mm-hmm. So Dave's like, I'm gonna get the vasectomy, I'm gonna do it during March Madness. I'll sit there on the couch with the peas on my lap. And then that was the year that they canceled the tournament. Oh, oh, and beyond that,
2: uh, it didn't work.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the vasectomy which failed.
2: We found out in uh I guess January of twenty two. Yeah. So
0: Year
3: and a half after the procedure, I'll never forget a year ago when I came here. I think I was delivering deer sausage, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, yeah. And Casey was in the garage, and you were outside, and she had this look of horror on her face. And I think you guys had just sort of found out (laughs)
1: let's call it surprise. Well, it was very much, that's true, but
3: she, yeah, but it was right at the initial phases, yeah. And there was a lot of shock that was involved there, and I understand. Yes, and uh, he's 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 he-
0: he's here. He's healthy. He's happy. We're happy. And I had since gotten the procedure uh, fixed just a few weeks before he was born in uh, September. Congratulations! Of, yeah, we yeah, hope yeah, it's fixed. Second time we try. try.
3: Yeah, yes, exactly. We hope so. All right. Well, we're going to the Blues game tonight, so that's going to be fun. But I have to do this.
1: Playback ready?
3: Now the audio cut of the day. Well, we've got to feature our friend, Congresswoman Corey Bush, who's at a congressional hearing and, oh, this will come as no surprise, pulls the race card. One of these
4: so-called energy experts is a philosopher who has previously espoused white supremacist views. For instance, in his 2000 college newspaper, he wrote, quote, The African and American Studies Department has 23 classes in many of these classes. African culture is presented not as inferior to Western culture, but as on equal footing with it. In other departments, the same is done with Latin American, Indian, and American Indian culture, end quote. When confronted about these views over two decades later, rather than disavow them, he doubled down on this narrative saying, quote, it has nothing to do with skin color. I was arguing that those cultures overall are inferior to Western culture.
3: So Corey Bush is not uh, the sharpest knife. Uh, I could say something about her level of education, but that would be racist and white supremacist. But Mr. Epstein, who was testifying before this um, committee as a philosopher, he's an energy expert. He was testifying about the uh, SPR, the Strategic P- Petroleum Reserve. And he explained his comments to Congresswoman Bush.
0: Yeah. So thanks for giving me a minute to address the uh, truly despicable and false attack on me, claiming that anything I've ever said is white supremacist and then trying to imply that that somehow applies uh, today. So I don't know if you wanna put those cards back up, but what I argued and what I've argued for my entire adult life is that Western culture is superior in the sense that it promotes individualism and freedom. And I have fought my entire life for freedom around the world, including in Africa, including in Asia, including in India, and I want everyone around the world to have the same opportunities that I do in the United States. There are different places around the world that are in many ways inferior. They have female genital mutilation. They have slavery. These are not as good as not mutilating females' genitals and not enslaving people, and so I make no apology, and the idea that this is associated with skin color is despicable and racist. Skin color has nothing to do with ideas. Where you came from geographically is
3: irrelevant. What's relevant is what's true. Yeah, let me interpret that a little bit. Uh, Congressman, you're an idiot. And you just don't even understand the basics of what I was talking about. And it's really it's really about
0: it's not really about the location. It's about individualism and freedom and reason. So it's certain values that are universal human values. The idea that freedom and reason and individualism only apply to people of certain skin colors. That is the actual original racist idea. Yes. Versus no, no. no. Whatever your skin color is, these ideas are true and good for human flourishing.
3: Alex Epstein eviscerating that argument from Corey Bush, which is typically embarrassing anyway. Hey, have a great night. I'm off to the Blues game with Dave Klein. We'll talk tomorrow. Fish fry Friday in Eureka.
4: Get more
2: at 971talk.com.